Ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary friends, welcome to the Incredible Playable Podcast. My name is Alistair, and I shall be your Incredible Playable host. I am the creator of an interactive stage show called The Incredible Playable Show, and in this podcast, I'll be taking you on a little journey through all things playable, playful, in art, in games, in performance, and in all the strange little things we find within and around them. Now, take a comfy seat, gather around a television, and grab yourselves a snack, because the race is about to begin. Sixteen racers line up on the grid. The red lights come on. Five, four, three, two, one, and they're off. Cerulean instantly takes the lead, but with Razian rapidly hot on its tail. They clutter their way down the track, bumping off the walls poking out to attempt an overtake before aborting, slipping back behind the leader. Inches behind this breakaway group is the rest of the pack. Ten racers clump tightly together, struggling to get past each other. Some of them are being forced to the edges of the track. This is going to be a tough race for them, but not as tough as it will be for Pulsar, already lingering well behind the rest of the group, struggling to get this race going. Cerulean, Razzy, and Rapidly hit the bottom of the track onto the conveyor belt. We see their lap times flash up onto the screen. The belt carries the marbles back up to the top where they begin the second of 15 laps. The whole thing is over in eight minutes. Out they come onto the backstretch. Cerulean looking for that good entry through the final couple of corners. Onto the front stretch. They this off. is the final of the second Marbula One Championship on the Yellers Marble Runs YouTube channel. The video has a pretty enviable 140,000 views, a mere one month after it first premiered. Yellers Marble Runs is a YouTube channel that regularly posts content like this. The Marbula One Championships appear alongside Marble Rally, Marble Olympics, Generally, all kinds of racing and sporting events that you can think of have been recreated in the form of marble runs. Coloured marbles assigned to teams and being sent down a different track every week. Now, what's fascinating about the Marbula 1 is that despite the fact that it's just coloured marbles bouncing down a track, it looks just like real motor racing. Not just in the screen layouts, which have the same slick timers and stats that you'd see in Formula One on television, but also in the way they move. A marble racer may mess up a corner, losing speed and giving the racer behind an opportunity to pass. The second place marble might make a mad dash onto the final straight to steal the lead in the final seconds. In an incredible feat of skill, a marble may take a perfect racing line to overtake three competitors at once. 
Even the league table takes on a narrative. The teams at the top seem to do consistently well, battling for top place. Meanwhile, an underdog team gets a mid-season boost, heroically climbing up the table to become a contender. It's all random. It's, it's just chaos. Like the butterfly that flaps its wings and causes a hurricane on the other side of the ocean. Tiny, imperceptible imperfections in the track, differences in friction, perhaps even minor changes to air pressure from moment to moment, add up to big differences in race performance. And yet, it's impossible not to imagine these marbles as sentient. They make smart race decisions. They appear to make an effort when it matters. These marbles seem to be racing with intent, and some seem to be better at it than others. It's all about the illusion. The illusion that the marbles are alive. It doesn't matter that the marbles really are inanimate objects. For the purposes of the narrative, it's enough for them to appear alive. It's fun to follow the season, not because you're fooled into thinking the marbles are alive. On the contrary, you know the marbles aren't alive. They're inanimate objects. What you can't take your eyes off of is how real it seems to be. It's the illusion itself that's fascinating. I can't stop watching because I'm trying to figure out why these marbles appear to be alive. I find the illusion fascinating. The way that we can look at something with an imbued life and act as if it is real. And even when we know it isn't, on some emotional level, we kind of just go along with it. Part of this effect is just make-believe, like what I ask people to do in my stage show. I ask my players to become Power Rangers, or I ask them to become Cold War Codebreakers, and they know they're not really Power Rangers and they're not really Cold War Codebreakers. All I've asked them to do is pretend. But it seems to be enough to say, pretend to be a Power Ranger, and in some way, in their imaginations, they do become Power Rangers. In how they act, they act as if a Power Ranger would, and they can picture themselves saving the world. In the game where I ask you to become a Power Ranger, all you are doing is being a human button. I attach a tablet to your belly, and the game asks you to do strange actions like run from wall to wall, or dance around, or maybe climb under the seats. Your purpose is simply to make these interactive buttons move in an interesting way. The game in the traditional sense, the competitive activity, is actually being played by a separate group of people. 
These people need to press the buttons attached to your bellies in the right order, but it is significantly difficult now that they are attached to someone who is running around and crawling around and doing these wild, unpredictable actions. The Power Rangers run and crawl and dance with a wild intensity that comes from a heroic intent, because I've told them that they are Power Rangers. And that is enough of an explanation to justify why they should be running around and dancing with a big button. It's this tiny little bit of make-believe, but it's enough to allow you to play along and to contribute to the performance. This tiny bit of make-believe that's just enough to go along with comes up in the book ritual. The book ritual is another game that I have created, but which comes with a very different creative intent to the games which I use in my stage shows. The book ritual is a game about exploring feelings of grief and loss. In it, I ask you to write and draw your personal experiences inside a book, and over the course of a story, put it page by page through a paper shredder. The book and the shredder are personified, both in-game and in the real world. I've given them big eyes and big smiley faces. It's important that they appear friendly and welcoming, because the tiny bit of make-believe that I asked the player to do is to imagine that this book and this shredder are living, breathing beings. It's obvious that they're not really alive. The book is just one of many that I found in the stack next to the computer, or maybe it's one that you've brought from home yourself. And the paper shredder is... well, it's a paper shredder. But through dialogue on the screen and the addition of eyes and mouths, the player is encouraged to treat these objects as if they were alive, and making them appear friendly is a helpful way to create that connection. If the book and the shredder are friendly, then the player will want to believe that they're alive. They will pretend that these objects are alive because the idea of it makes them smile. And when you believe that the book and the paper shredder are friendly, living beings, they can become trusted friends. Trusted friends that the player can confide in. The book asks you to share your feelings around sensitive subjects, your own experiences of loss, and you write down your thoughts and memories inside its pages. The player will also need to console the book itself, because this book is processing its own sadness around these same subjects. The game offers you an opportunity to show a level of compassion to the book that is a model for how you can show compassion to yourself. This is something that I learned the value of firsthand while making the game. Ultimately, the reason you choose to make-believe in the book ritual is because you trust that it will give you some level of understanding about yourself. You choose to play along with my fiction because you will hope 
it will lead to personal growth. The illusion of life is created because we have something to gain from it. The illusion pops up again in the work of game makers Dietrich Squinkerfer, known as Squinky, and Jess Marcotte. I had the pleasure of interviewing both of them for a livestream that I do for the Indiecade Games Festival on their Twitch channel. Jess and Squinky made a game called Rustle Your Leaves to Me Softly. It's made using a houseplant connected to capacitance sensors. Caressing the plant with your fingers will trigger sounds to be played. Photosynthesis. You are a The rain will come again. Soft and mellow breathing. Words spoken into your ear as if from incredibly close. It is designed to be suggestive and sensual. It imagines how a plant would express sexuality. The game draws on a queer perspective. It asks you to imagine what sensuality would be to someone who does not experience the world in the same way that you do. It asks you to open your ears and your touch to the experience of another being that you may not understand. It asks you to explore and to listen with compassion. You may enjoy what you discover in the process. To achieve this, the player must believe that the plant is alive. I mean, plants are alive, but, I mean, you know what I'm getting at. Jess and Squinky explained in the interview that touching the plant causes a change in capacitance in the sensor plugged into the soil, as some of the electricity that used to flow through the plant now flows through you. As such, touching it in different ways, firmly or lightly, or maybe with the tips of your fingers compared to the palm of your hand, will be detected and these different kinds of touch will cause different soundscapes to be created. The plant gives you feedback, not just to tell you that you're touching it, but responding in the moment to how you touch it. The plant appears to be aware of the nature of your presence. The sensors are sensitive enough that they can detect a difference based on the moisture of your hands. Different people have different moistnesses. The result is that the plant appears to be able to identify you from other people. It all adds up to an illusion that the plant is sentient. It's sensitive to your touch. It's aware of who you are. It appears to be alive because it responds in the way a living being would. The illusion of life is created by responding instantly to input responding to changes in input, but doing so in a way that is both consistent and unpredictable. 
Jess and Squinky also told us about a game they made together for a game jam. A game jam is a challenge to make a game within 48 hours, which is quite a common exercise within the game making scene. This game was called Most Sincere Greetings, Esteemed One. The task they'd been given was to create a game for a kind of headband-like object. This object was supposed to be able to read your emotional responses. It was supposed to be able to detect things like stress, or calm, or mental exertion. But the data that Jess and Squinky got from this was erratic. It was chaotic, inconsistent, and incredibly susceptible to interference. To put it simply, the headband didn't really work. But that didn't stop them from using it. Most sincere greetings esteemed one does use the headband, but it just doesn't use it switched on. The players put the headband on, and the game simply pretends that meaningful data is coming through. The pair randomly generated outcomes, presented them as ratings from a digital adjudicator, and the players just believed that these outcomes matched what the sensors were picking up. This was a game about performing silly greetings to each other in the real world, from kissing each other on the cheek, to pulling faces and singing nonsense words. The silly performances were the fun part, so by giving players this headband and claiming it was a high-tech piece of equipment, it simply gave people permission and reason to give it their all. Sometimes, to create the illusion, we just need to give a participant something that looks authentic enough, and avoid giving them a reason to question it. Sometimes players want to make believe. Sometimes players make believe because they know it will add to the experience. Sometimes they will make believe because doing so will lead them to personal growth, or at least they hope it will. Sometimes we trick them into make believing, and sometimes we offer up a convincing enough fiction that it's easy to make believe without even trying. But in Yella's marble runs, there is no make-believe. We know the marbles are not alive, and while we may play along like they're alive, that's not why we're watching. We know it's not real. But why is it so convincing? Why does something that's basically a random number generator look just like a sport played by sentient, thinking, living human beings? The marbles seem so alive. 
but were we to look deep inside their glassy glaze, all we would see is... The Homunculus was a game made in a game jam. It was the cumulative effort of several of us game creators from around the world who'd come together on a boat in Copenhagen. While the jam itself was 48 hours long, this game was made in a handful of minutes. I can't really remember who had which ideas. The Homunculus just kind of emerged fully formed within this group of maybe six or eight of us. I'd brought a set of morph suits with me, in case we wanted to use them in the jam. I'd put one on and was crawling around in it, looking for inspiration, seeing what things this costume could inspire. And very quickly, we had the rules of the game. A morph suit is an all-over lycra bodysuit. And I mean all over, from head to toe. Your face is totally covered, and you become this kind of single-colour silhouette of a person. I have a red one, and a yellow one, and a green one, and a blue one. I think these are really fun costumes to play around in. The Homunculus is a game for two players, and one human being inside the morph suit, that human being playing the role of the Homunculus. The Homunculus isn't a player here, the homunculus acts more like a computer or a console. The homunculus is not allowed to speak. We begin the game with what we called programming the homunculus. The first player whispers the name of a body part into the homunculus's ear. Perhaps this is the back of its left knee, or the tip of its nose. Perhaps it's the homunculus's right elbow. This body part becomes the homunculus's pleasure point. Touching the homunculus here will cause it to experience pleasure. All other parts of the homunculus become pain points. If you touch the homunculus anywhere else, you will cause it intense pain. The task of the second player is to find the pleasure point by touching the homunculus. In gameplay terms, it's a simple hide-and-seek game. And from a traditional game design perspective, it shouldn't really work. After all, there's no meaningful choices. You touch the wrong point, the homunculus expresses pain. You touch another point, the homunculus expresses pain. There is no further information that you'll glean from this that will help you find the pleasure point. Yet this is where the magic happens. Because at this point, most players will have realised that there is no way to win this game without causing the homunculus more pain. At this point, the players would stop wanting to touch the homunculus. Especially if, as the performer inside the suit, you're now expressing fear of the player using your body language. Why are they doing this to you? As the players become reluctant to continue, you, the performer, can start approaching them. You bite back your trepidation and come towards them with curiosity. 
you use your body language to suggest that you want to be their friend. At that point, they become brave enough to touch you again, and thus you inevitably spring back in pain. This back and forth continues. Perhaps you start trying to subtly suggest to them where they should be touching you, and eventually they will be brave enough to try again. Maybe they've misread your suggestion and they'll touch you in the wrong place. You leap back in pain. Or maybe they'll be right and you all get to enjoy the hilarious wind state as the homunculus rolls around on the floor like a puppy getting a belly rub with someone tickling its big toe. The homunculus is a game that only works because of the performance. As a performer in a suit, you craft this interaction that you have with the players, overplaying the pain enough to unsettle them, but not so much that they'll avoid playing. Unlike the other experiences I've talked about here, where we take something inanimate and imbue it with imagined life, in the homunculus we take a living, breathing, intelligent performer and pretend that these attributes have been taken away. The players knew that it was Alistair inside the suit, but from how they responded it may as well have been a strange alien creature. Faceless. Voiceless. Naive. Covered in this perfectly uniform, factory-produced skin. It was really funny. But what made it so funny was that, to put it simply, it was quite unsettling. To interact with the homunculus was to come face to face with this uncanny, almost human. Face to face, at least, insofar as there was a mass where the homunculus's face should be. To come face to face with the homunculus was like staring into a hollow mind. Sometimes to play along with the illusion, we must leave humanity at the door. I am the homunculus. Welcome to the void. Yellow's marble runs look just like real life Formula One races. My first reaction upon watching them was to wonder how much a Formula 1 race really is decided by chaos and luck. Could it be that the movements of Formula 1 drivers, the ups and downs of racers in the Formula 1 championship, are simply random? And we look at it, and we imbue it with life. We conjure up a narrative where Formula 1 drivers make risky decisions and snap judgments. What if, just like the marbles, racing car drivers are inanimate? 
place. Another one of those marbles seeking the first ever win in Marbula 1. We'll have some work to do. Look at this battle up front. Oh, a hard hit onto the curb. Cerulean is nearly stopped and has just enough wherewithal to get going again. But that was nearly disastrous. Oh, what if they are sentient? Their actions still controlled entirely by chaos, but believing themselves to be doing well because of their skill, their risky manoeuvres, and their quick decision-making. Are my decisions my own? Or are they too the result of chaotic interference too subtle for me to see? Do I merely perceive my decisions as my own, becoming aware of them after they have already been made, and then painting a narrative around them that I call my personality? Do I imbue me with life? And if that's true, does it even matter? Or is it enough to make believe that I am a sentient human being? with a personality, making meaningful choices. Maybe the illusion is more important than the reality. Maybe the illusion is all there is. I am the homunculus. Welcome to the Void. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary friends, thank you for coming to the Incredible Playable Podcast. I would like to give a shout out to Indicade, who host the Beyond Screens Alternative Controller Show, in which myself and my co-host Tatiana Vilela Dos Santos interviewed Jess Marcotte and Squinky, whose work I talked about in this episode. And also a massive thank you to Jess Marcotte and Squinky for sharing with us all this fantastic insight into their work. If you want to watch that interview, you can find that on the Indicade Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Indicade, and look in their past broadcasts. If you want to find out about the other work that I'm making in games, performance, and live streaming, follow me on Twitter at AGHSON, that's A-G-A-I-T-C-H-E-S-O-N, or look for my website, alistairhson.com. Thank you once again for coming to the show, and I hope you all have a fantastic day. Goodbye! <laughs>